This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for January 14th, 2018. Artificial intelligence is a hot topic these days, with people discussing what it could do, what are the dangers, and whether an AI could take over the world like in Terminator. In this podcast, I'll talk to a policy expert in this field. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. There's a great film that you should watch if you haven't already. It's called When We Were Kings. It's about Muhammad Ali's Rumble in the Jungle boxing match against George Foreman. That's right, George Foreman used to be a boxer before he made it big as a grill salesperson. In fact, Foreman was such a good boxer that everyone expected him to win the Rumble in the Jungle boxing match in Kinshasa in 1974. Ali was seen as being towards the end of his boxing career, well past his peak, 32 years of age, compared to Foreman, who was 25. From the start of the match, Ali hardly even tried to hit Foreman. He just concentrated on defence and dodging Foreman's blows. And he concentrated on psychologically destroying Foreman. Every time Foreman did manage to land a blow... Ali whispered to him, Is that all you got, George? Is that all you got? As he got more and more frustrated, Foreman got more exhausted, trying harder and harder to hit Ali. Finally, in the eighth round, Ali landed a series of blows on Foreman, culminating with one that sent him down. There's a very famous photo of this, with Foreman falling. If you can picture Muhammad Ali in a boxing match photo, that's probably the one you're thinking of. I was thinking of this match and Ali's genius in winning a match he was supposed to lose all last week when I saw the reactions to the suggestion that Oprah Winfrey might run for president in 2020. The right couldn't contain themselves from posting meme after meme saying that people who complained about one billionaire TV star with zero political experience could hardly support another when it suited them. There are two things to say about this. Sure, it's easy to categorise Winfrey and Trump together if you craft your language carefully enough. But Oprah Winfrey is no Donald Trump. Trump was born rich, and there's no evidence that he made any more money than he would have if he had just stuck the millions his fathers left him in the New York Stock Exchange. He had every advantage and privilege that he could have had. Winfrey was born dirt poor to a teenage single mother. She was sexually abused as a child and pregnant at 14. She worked her way to having a multi-billion dollar media empire, starting by reading the news on a small local black radio station. She has used her money to, amongst other things, fund a high school in South Africa for poor girls. Trump's interest in teenage girls consists of boasting how he could walk into their dressing rooms while they were naked. But the riot of comment about whether Oprah Winfrey would beat Trump in 2020 is missing something. 
The enthusiasm from some Democrats for her is showing a key weakness. They're trying to refight the last battle. They think that they can repeat Trump's trick of defeating politics with celebrity. If you believe, and God knows there's good reason to believe it, if you believe that Trump is dangerously incompetent and inexperienced, what business do you have in trying to pull the same trick, just hoping to pull it off a little bit better? It seems to me that for all his failings, and God knows there's plenty, for all his failings, the Trump administration has succeeded bigly at one thing. They're keeping their opposition tied in knots. People opposed to Trump can't decide if they need more identity politics or less, more celebrity or less, more moral purity or less. They're burning up all their energy, and the only thing they aren't doing is actually producing a real vision for the future, or a real alternative to Trump. If I was the Donald, I'd be saying, is that all you got? Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think. And before we go any further, I want to tell you a little bit about another podcast you should be listening to. It's called, I have to pronounce this correctly, it's called Let's Talk About Sects. And it's presented by Sarah Steele. She's on the line. Sarah, what is the podcast about? Yes, I have to be careful the way that I say it every episode. So let's talk about sects. Um, We focus on a different cult each episode, and it's a single-hosted storytelling style, uh, deeply researched dive into a sect each month. So uh, we've got a bit of an Australian focus, but we look at cults around the world um, and a bit about their leadership, their beliefs, member experiences, etc., So the main focus is increasing awareness and also removing some of the stigma about those who become involved. That sounds very interesting. Where can I get this podcast for the listeners? Uh, On all of your major podcasting apps and Apple Podcasts, etc. You can find it on on the website as well, which is ltaspod.com. Sarah, thank you very much. Thanks, William. On the line now, I have Ryan Hageman. He is the Director of Technology Policy at the Niskanen Centre. That's a libertarian think tank in Washington. Um, Ryan, you wrote an article recently about AI and what it's likely to do to society. What's your general thesis on that? Well, so I guess the short answer would be we don't really know what it's going to do in the future. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when talking about artificial intelligence, they tend to confuse sort of these future scenarios where we have kind of, you know, killer robots or machines that are basically just capable of uh, learning on their own and evolving. And then the next thing you know, they sort of become our supreme overlords. That tends to fall only in the realm of science fiction, though. This is the Terminator um, idea. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Ter- yeah. Terminator or, I mean, you, you can, you know, Hal from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I mean, you know, you can you can pick your doomsaying poison. That tends to be how a lot of people think about these sort of systems when we're talking about them in a in a colloquial sort of uh, you know popular culture sense. Uh, but right now, what we're dealing with in terms of artificial intelligence is more what we refer to as uh, artificial narrow intelligence. And so these are these are artificial systems that perform very specific tasks and that are programmed to do very specific things. 
So contrast that to the vision of the robot that basically can go off and, and, and do whatever it, it, it desires to do. So a good example of this that people don't tend to uh, really, really think about because they've incorporated it into their daily lives is uh, Google Search. Like Google Search is, is a very, very narrow form of artificial intelligence. It's an algorithm that basically trawls the web uh, looking for terms uh, that you put into uh, the search bar. And that, that is technically a form of artificial intelligence, but it's, it's very narrow. Uh, so um, the, the famed computer scientist John McCarthy once said, as soon as it works, we don't call it artificial intelligence anymore. And I, I think that is one of the big problems that we have in the AI policy debate is this, this major gap between how people conceive of an artificial intelligence based on what they've seen in the movies and what it's actually capable of and how it actually helps them in their day-to-day -day lives. Well, well, Ryan, one thing about that, um, we talk about artificial intelligence and it crops up in the movies a lot, and you mentioned the definition, but are we even on the road to that? Isn't it the case, really, that what we're talking about is just fairly clever computer programming and in fairness, intelligent people, well, in some cases, very intelligent people uh, like Richard Hawkins or Sam uh, Sam Harris have talked about the dangers of what would happen if we had an art, a true artificial intelligent, artificially intelligent computer. But we're not really on the road to that. We're on the road to a computer that can guess cleverly, not one that has its own will. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a very fair characterization of where we are uh, right now with the state of research and development into AI systems. And these this is stuff that we have been researching for probably the better part of the last 75 years or so. And it, it there's no indication that we're anywhere close to a tipping point where we're about to reach some sort of artificial intelligence system that can basically just start learning on its own and can and can start doing things that we have not yet programmed it to do. So a lot of the real uh, policy concerns, I think, relate to things more like transparency, use in pretrial risk assessments, uh, the proprietary mm -hmm. nature of the code, whether or not you know, we have open source access to it, privacy concerns. Uh, and then there's the sort of um, the, the big elephant in the room, which is more broadly automation of labor and its impact on, on employment. So I think that's a very fair characterization. I don't think we're anywhere close. To but I, I should, actually, Ryan, actually, Ryan, I would dispute with that. You there, when you talk about we're not anywhere close to real artificial artificial intelligence, are we even on the road to that? Because sometimes I think people are mixing their metaphors with their reality and people talk about how a computer is clever. I think maybe the last technology that you could look at and understand just from looking at it was probably the record player. You know, you could work out needle going in the groove, making sound. But once we got past the photocopier, we started anthropomorphizing things. And if the photocopier wasn't working someday in the 1970s, we said, oh, it doesn't like me today because we couldn't really understand what was happening inside the box. But there's no real suggestion that we're even on the road to that, is there? Well, I mean, it depends on what you consider a real suggestion. People like Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk and, and some others have suggested that the, the, the mere tail end uh, distribution on, on, on uh, uh, the risk analysis scale, uh, the, the mere possibility that we could potentially achieve this technology at any point, not just in the near future, but in the far-flung future, mm -hmm. warrants 
a lot of sort of prescriptive rules right now on the technology. So I don't think I don't think we. I, it's tough to say. Are we on the road to artificial general intelligence? Maybe, but I don't see it coming up anytime soon. I mean, in order to achieve something like that, we would need to develop. We would need to basically make a whole host of discoveries in a wide range of fields that sort of contribute to our understanding of how intelligence actually works. Everything. Sure, but we don't. We don't, we don't know how how intelligence works. We don't know how our own brains work. We can kind of work out, right. you know, how an arm works, that the muscle contracts, and it allows me to lift my cup of coffee in the morning, and we have a good idea of that, and we can make something that is an approximation of that in maybe, I don't know, the arm that raises up and lets you drive into the underground car park. But those two things are superficially similar and you can maybe understand them through an analogy. But there's no other than an analogy that allows, you know, a kid to understand what a computer is. There's no real similarity between a brain and a computer, is there? No, I mean, right now, no, not not really. I mean, people will reference things like neural networks as sort of simulating generally how the brain works with synapses and neurons firing. But again, like you pointed out, we don't really even have a very good understanding of how the brain works, much less how to, you know, if, if we can't figure out how our own intelligence works, it seems far flung to assume that we have the ability and the, quite frankly, the technology uh, to make an artificial uh, uh, artificial system code sort of do what it is humans can do. Mm-hmm. So are we on the road to artificial general intelligence? You know, there's a slight, slight possibility, always inflection points in technologies. People, you know, people talk about how things change slowly until all of a sudden they change quickly. But I, there, there's nothing to suggest that we're anywhere close to this technology. Are we on the road? Possibly, but unlikely. Yeah, and in fairness to the people who say that, it's true that until you have a problem, you don't have a problem. But I'm wondering, and you come from a libertarian background, and I'm wondering, are people perhaps hiding behind things? So people talk about um, drones and perhaps artificial intelligence making a a decision whether or not to kill someone by firing a rocket without having a human being involved. And that's really untrue because somebody who puts a drone in the sky that may or may not kill someone is thereby responsible for that they might not feel responsible because of the the distance and is it possible that some people who perhaps want to shirk responsibility for their own decisions are saying oh well uh, i didn't really decide that it was the computer that decided and i think you mentioned earlier in some um court cases people are decided it's being decided whether or not they get bail based on black box artificial technology artificial intelligence technology in other words an algorithm that nobody really knows except the company that owns it. Nobody really knows what it's doing. Isn't this an excuse for people to um, to say that they're not responsible for things that they really are responsible for? I think so, at least to a certain degree. So in the case of, you know, automated weapon systems, we don't really have, you know, automaton killer robots on the battlefields. We have drones that can be piloted remotely, but they're not automated. And there are chains of command to determine when a kill is made and under what circumstances. In the pre-trial um, uh, risk assessment uh, process, ultimately none of these algorithmic systems are making the final judgment. It's ultimately up to the judge, and these systems play a role, possibly in influencing the judge's decision one way or another. Um, but at the end of the day, no, we still have full, complete control over this technology. And you know, anyone who argues that, well, the computer did it for me, and so I'm, you know, I'm completely blameless in this scenario. I think isn't is either you know really 
cognitively motivated to sort of, you know, eschew responsibility for a decision that ultimately, you know, they were responsible for. I think that's a fair characterization. Okay, and because you come from a libertarian background, uh, just to finish up, to um, switch the conversation very slightly, do you think it's possible, even in the distant future, that we could come to believe that either robots or artificial intelligence systems have rights that would need to be vindicated? Oh boy, that's a, uh, you know, that's that's one of those questions that I sort of always have in the back of my mind, and I'm always wondering whether or not it's going to be something I need to deal with in my lifetime. Um, I don't really know where I personally fall on on that issue. Um, you know, I, I guess a good analogy would sort of be the animal rights movement, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty well understood that animals feel pain, and you know, they are they are sentient, and you know, they you know they are entitled to some level of protection under the law, at least at least in this country. I can't speak everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and yet we still eat them, right? Um, yeah. So whether or not robots at some point achieve some level of rights, at least approaching uh, how we um, you know, view animals, I think that's ultimately going to depend on, on sort of the emotional attachment that people feel in relation to these systems, which itself is a function of how close these systems approximate a degree of not artificial general intelligence, but some degree of intelligence that allows people to form some emotional bond with them that makes them feel as though, even though this robot might not be quite at the same cognitive level that I am. It does seem as though if I were to treat it poorly, that that would that would be, um, you know, ethically uh, uh, ethically specious, at least according to the norms of of society. So it's a tough call, and I think ultimately it's gonna it's it's going to be a function of how advanced these systems get in our lifetime, whether or not we see this actually emerge as a real ethical debate beyond just, you know, the philosopher's uh, realm. Okay. Are are you optimistic or fearful about the future? Oh, I'm incredibly optimistic about the future. Obviously, there are always problems that emerge with new technologies, and we never get the heaven scenario. We've never gotten the hell scenario. Most of what ends up happening, is, uh, as the journalist Joel Garreau once put it years ago, we end up muddling through. Like, we can't, we mm-hmm. can't anticipate all of the best or worst case scenarios resulting from new technologies. But if we maintain an optimistic disposition, if we recognize that the growing pains we're experiencing are transient and will pass, then eventually we get through the worst of, of the thicket and you know we start to see a little bit of the daylight. Uh, Ryan Hageman, Director of Technology Policy at the Niskegon Center, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. If you like the Challenging Opinions podcast, please rate and review the show on iTunes and other podcast providers. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. Tell your friends. But most important, make your view heard. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on January 14th, 2018. I have links in the show notes on the website for Ryan's article and lots of the other things that we've discussed. And if you know someone who I should interview, or even an idea of what topics I should be covering, I'd be really interested to hear your feedback, even if you're the person you think I should be interviewing. If you like the podcast, there's one thing you could do that would really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes and give the podcast a rating and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at Challenging O and follow Ryan Hageman at Ryan Lee Hageman.
And most importantly, subscribe to the show for free. You can use Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any other podcast app or software. There's links and an RSS feed for all of that on the website. And if you don't use a podcast app or software, you can subscribe by email. Just enter your email address on the Changing Opinions website. And every time a new show goes online, you'll get a simple email with a link to listen, but zero spam, I promise. You can find all of that or get in touch with me at www.changingopinions.com. The Changing Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.